The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to their elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Season 4 of Retail Therapy, proudly brought to you by American Express. This season, we'll be focusing on tech and innovation within the retail sector. We'll be talking to retailers who are utilising new and transformative technologies to support their business, as well as deep dive into the stories of startups who are taking the lead on retail innovation. Joining me today for some retail therapy is David Manor, the CEO of creative and marketing agency M Division, which works with leading brands in the hair and beauty industry. David is also the founder of the Australian Hair and Fashion Awards, the longest running independent hairdressing awards program. David has a long running passion for all things hair and beauty, and I'm delighted to be chatting with him today to discuss all the innovations that are going on in the industry. David, thanks for joining us. Paul, thank you so much for having me today. First of all, let's start off with a bit of your background and where your passions came from with all things hair and beauty. Well, Paul, my family comes from three generations of hairdressing. My grandfather was a barber in the north of Lebanon, and he services the community there. And hairdressing is traditionally a migrant's game. And my father also was a barber. So when my grandfather and my father migrated to Australia, he continued on with his craft and he opened up a salon in Punchbowl, believe it or not. And again, servicing that community and the camaraderie and the relationships that were built through that business was insane. Like anyone who finds out that I'm the grandson of Jamil Manor always speaks so highly of how he treated people and how he looked after his clients. And especially during the war times in Lebanon, he would do a lot of the um, services for hairdressing right. and, and barbering for free just to look after people and to the detriment of his own family. So the heartbeat of the hairdresser in my family was all about community building and family. And that trickled down to my brother, Richard Manor, who is one of the most successful hairdressers on the planet today based in Miami, uh, spent a lot of time in New York and was the first Australian to win London Hairdresser wow. of the Year in the UK. So we are a hairdressing family. And for me, observing that entire journey of my brother, Richard, who I do want to sort of touch on today in the podcast, because it gives you an insight as to why I love the industry, but seeing him going through his apprenticeship and, and really aiming for bigger goals to achieve much more than just the four walls of a salon was something that really spoke volumes to me. And for me, as a photographer, I was able to enter into the industry to create imagery and to partner and, and collaborate with hairdressers to really bring the best out of them from a image factor. Mm. And that's how I got into the industry initially. So I initially was recognized in the UK for my work because my brother was based there. I came over to shoot for his collections for the British Hairdressing Awards. And lo and behold, the uh, collections did really well. And from there, Australia started taking notice of me, even though I was based in Australia, my career as a photographer started in the UK. And then, of course, other opportunities and other doors opened for me to get into the position I am today. Why did you see such a need to sort of capture the hairdressing industry so well? Because you, you understand you, you've sort of come from a family of hairdressers, but you've, you've seen it through a lens of photography yes. and wanting to capture those images. Tell me more. Well, I, I saw what it does for hairdressers. 
okay? You know, hairdressers usually aren't people who have succeeded very well in academia. So they walk away from the schooling environment not very confident mm-hmm. because it wasn't a forte for them. It was more of a creative kinetic energy that they had. Yeah. For me, that's just as valuable as anyone who's quite academic. So it's the schooling system that sometimes doesn't cater for the creatives. Yes. And for the minority communities as well, believe it or not. So from there to see them on stage receiving awards and accolades, which they weren't used to during their young years, was revolutionizing the way that they held themselves, perceived themselves. And it sparked such beauty and inspiration in individuals. And that inspired me. So if I could play that role as a photographer to elevate and focus on great achievement as a hairdresser and a creative, that was very rewarding for me. It's a beautiful story. I think you you also, you founded M Division, which is a creative and marketing agency that's worked with leading brands like L'Oreal, Dyson, Revlon and American Crew, just to name a few. Tell us how you built that company and the work you do for your clients. Okay. So M Division has been an incredible journey for me. We're in our 10th year this year, which I feel is a great milestone, but it's it's the world's first specifically focused creative agency on the hair industry. And what we do is we service brands particularly to really speak to the professional. So any brand that wants to come to M Division, they can come to us fully loaded with their assets and their strategy and their voice to to market and their tone of voice and launch into the industry through our platforms. However, they can also come to us at the conceptual start of their life cycle. So we can help them with their branding, with their logos, their color palette. Then we create the assets as a production creative agency. We create a lot of assets from video content, steals content, your marketing content, advertising, you know, your smartphone content, your social media assets. So we can really help you with that production element of your brand. And then we can also place them on the channel. So M Division, not only as a creative agency, can strategize and create content, but it also owns three of the most influential channels to the professional in Australia, which are the Journal Magazine, yes, which is a trade-facing prosumer hair magazine. Secondly, the Australian Hair Fashion Awards, which is the leading sort of platform for um, hairdressers to be recognized and spotlit, which is, again, sponsored by Dyson and supported by those brands that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And thirdly, we have a discovery program, which is called the Fame Team, which I'm most passionate about because Fame Team is all about discovering the next generation of talent and helping them go from emerging artists to established artists. And that's the one thing that M Division really cultivates year upon year to improve. Because if we don't focus on the next generation, the future of our industry looks very, very bleak. Yeah, good, really good point. Now, the Australian Retailers Association was very fortunate because we partnered with you this year with the Australian Hair and Fashion Awards, and we were there to see it in its full light. It was an amazing event. I just would like to hear a little bit more. It was a wonderful night, the celebration of the industry and seeing that uh, industry unite the way that it is, it had rather. What was the reasoning behind wanting to showcase and celebrate hair, beauty and fashion in this way? For me, we're all about elevating the industry. You know, traditionally, the hairdressing industry has been what I sometimes coin as a wacky, tacky world, very insular and incestual. And we don't really branch out of hair Mm. to engage industries like fashion and the consumer. Yes. And consumer Which is a bit odd, isn't it? Because it sort of all sits hand in hand, doesn't it? It does. It all works together. You know, fashion is the complete look. Yeah. So for me, it was all about creating a platform that attracts consumer media, attracts other industries like beauty, associations like yourself, which we were honoured to have you there and on stage presenting as well. And of course, 
for the world to be watching yes. what this industry is all about. But most importantly, Paul, is I want young people in that room. Yeah. I need to do everything I can to get as many young people in that room who can see themselves on that stage one day and see the results of young people winning on stage and get that inspiration and motivations to be the best they can be. Because there's this unfortunate stigma in our industry where people feel as though a hairdressing career is limited to the four walls of the salon. Right. And that is so false. Yeah. There's so much more opportunity in our industry beyond the four walls of the salon. Yes. Nothing wrong with the four walls of yes. the salon. It's the cornerstone of our industry. But there's potential to do so much more outside of that parameter. And that's what I want them to envision and, and capture and catch rather mm. um, when they're at the Australian Hair Fashion Awards. So is it much more just having like that local business, but they're also having much more of a global attitude to what, what could be done globally in, in their world? Exactly. Exactly. It's a really large industry. And we know this because we have hairdressers as, as ARA members. Um, we go from hairdressing to hardware and everything in between. We're a very diverse uh, association. But the Australia's, Australia's hair and beauty industry is worth $7.6 billion. Yet it's fair to say, it doesn't get the recognition or the attention from government that it deserves. And hair and beauty salon managers were recently added to the skills priority list, while hairdressing have also been on the priority list for some time, like 20 years, we've had this skill shortage. Why do you think we're experiencing such a skill and labour shortage in the industry on such a massive scale? Wow, that is the biggest question that we face as an industry. It's uh, very loaded. I'll do my best to to respond, Paul. But it's it's so it's so great that someone like you can recognise that that's something that needs to be discussed. We are we've always had skill shortages in our industry, okay? Because traditionally, the demographics of our of our industry attracts mainly women. Yes, and because of the different nuances in the way in which women approach their careers in hairdressing there is a cycle of turnover that we need to continually fulfill. Mm. So sometimes women leave the industry for periods of time, obviously to start families. Sometimes yes. as hairdressers, they progress into other retail opportunities or service-based opportunities. So according to, I believe it's the National Center for Vocational Research, we require 5,500 positions to be filled every single year. Right. However, the training system is only spitting out 3,000 qualified hairdressers a year. So there's a huge it's deficit, gap. huge mm. deficit. Mm. So so the issues there aren't just because of the demographics of the industry, but also migration. Like I was saying before, hairdressing is traditionally a migrants game. And because and of well, the- why do, And why do you say that? Is it the type of work or why I is it I feel like so? it's birthed in communities. Yeah, right? sure. When a community gets together, yeah. okay, hairdressing is birthed because it, you need to service the community. And from there, they broaden out to a larger business model. So when you have groups and communities coming into mm. the country- the hairdresser and the salon is is a model that is actually birthed, yeah. and you, you'll notice that all throughout the world, of course. It's, it's, it seems like it's more vocational. Like it, it does. I mean, my hairdresser, uh, his parents were hairdressers, both mum and dad, and the, the, the grandparents before that. So, it's sort of, it feels like this is this vocation that gets passed on through the lineage that has a has a very much a migrant a European background. Correct. What is it about us migrants that make us who we are? We love family. We love food. We love culture. We love getting together. We love to please. We love <laughs> to please, we love to service. True. You know, me as a Middle Eastern, we're all about hospitality. Yes. So the hairdressing and the hairdresser and the salon model fulfills a lot of those yes, good point. requirements. Yeah. So it is something that we 
have lost over the last three years because, you know, migration has slowed down, almost paused completely. Yes. I think it did pause completely. Well, it did through the lockdowns, right? We, in fact, you know, all the migrants that were here on a, on a visa had to go back home because they weren't entitled to a job seeker or keeper. So that actually forced a lot of those people, which is why we're at this crisis point, I think. So, Correct. Um, Correct. And in addition to the, to the issue with migrants, we also have a, a real sort of problem in our training system. Yes. Right? It takes too long to be qualified as a hairdresser. Yeah. There's a major concern. It needs, I, I like to call it, uh, we need a reformation in qualification. Yes, agree. Um, because, for example, when you've got a, a business like Just Cuts, who mm. don't require people to be qualified with color and perming, but you have to learn all of that in the apprentice um, training system, yeah. they can't get new people to join their business. Yes. So it's this perfect storm yeah. of the nature of the business, uh, of the industry, migration, and what we've seen in, in the last few years, and of course, the training system that's made it really difficult for the skills shortage issue to, for us yeah. to solve. Because, in fact, that's not great. From a consumer's point of view, because it's driving prices up, right? With a shortage of just a general shortage of people to do the to do, do the work that's so important, exactly. and it goes just beyond the creative elements of a haircut, right? Because hairdressers provide almost that that tactile sensory experience in a salon where the psych- psychology they you know that often people share their wildest secrets with the hairdresser don't correct, they? Correct, correct. So it has a sort of community service aspect to it. Absolutely but I just wanted to go back to a point you made in relation to the the way in which the government perceives our industry as a 7.6 billion dollar industry. The slight deception in that Paul is that a lot of that profit does not end up in the pockets and the businesses of salon right. owners. Yes. That's a lot of money that's being generated by the product companies. Good point. Now, the product companies and the and the retail offering of our industry is very lucrative. In fact, it hit, it hit its heights during the pandemic, believe yeah. it or not. Yet, it's the people and the salons and the traditional models of our industry that suffered the most. So, there's this real pendulum of success and, and yes. struggle yeah, yeah. in our industry right now, but it's kind of blanket covered by this, oh, this industry is $7.6 billion. Yeah. And yes, the government does incentivize and does support aspects of our business, yeah. uh, of our industry rather, but it's the it's the salon model and it's the hairdresser who's struggling till this very day. No, it's a good point. I think you raised too. I think you mentioned before that often people that have a more that that are attracted to the industry come from a creative mindset, right? They're not academics, and which is what we, we obviously we we want their creative um, uh, mindset. We need it, we, and we need it. And I think the the fact is that the courses and the training, particularly in, in our country in Australia, is, is really around these sort of uh, lengthy training courses. So there's a. Do, do you think that also, if you if you're lacking confidence joining the industry? Often people have, they must have, there's a, there's a low completion rate because people don't want, don't think they can see out the time frame. Do you think there's, there's a more of an opportunity to go to what we would call micro courses where they're shorter stints to develop these skills over a period of time rather than such a short time frame? Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't have said it better myself. We have some of the lowest completion rates in all education. Now you're always going to get dropouts in university courses, but when it comes to trades, we're at 50%. So no. only half the people that start finish, yes. which is a scary figure. And that's because the training system, like I was saying before, is not has not modernized to what is required today in the yes. modern world. And like you said, these micro-education opportunities and different and better new way ways, creative ways to yes. train and develop young people to be excited about joining our industry, that's what's required. Yeah. That's one of the solutions that we need to look because, at. Because most of the training is done on the job, I assume, right? And often um, people that join hairdressing are wanting to escape the school system. This is sort of throws them back in again. So there's, it has to be rethought, I guess. And that's the message to government on how do we work together together to actually Correct. rethink the, these courses. I don't think we're going to solve problems in today's podcast, but um, maybe we can at least have a conversation. See yourself boosting your business. Stack them over there. 
200,000 membership rewards bonus points plus a $500 credit. Perfect. It's possible with the American Express Platinum Business Card. To discover more, search Platinum Business today. Minimum spend $12,000 in the first three months. Offer ends 4th of April 2023. New Amex card members only. T's and C's apply. What else can we do, do you think, to actually boost training and apprenticeships? Are there any other solutions? There's obviously the micro-credentials are the way to go. There are certain things that have already started to work. For example, post-COVID, the incentive for employers has really increased. So before COVID, and I think this lasted for about 20 years, the incentive to take on apprentices was terrible. I think it was like $4,000 a year, which is peanuts when you consider what it takes to develop, grow, and employ a young person. Now it's changed in the last 18 months to half their first year's salary. Right. Okay. It's almost $20,000, which has bolstered the taking on of apprentices in our industry by about 40 to 50%. So that's one of the solutions. Yes. And of course, you and I discussed the training and education system. That also needs to be looked at and revisited. We need to make it exciting again. It is an exciting industry. You know, we saw industries like the chef industry. Yes. uh, Or is that, what, what would you call that industry? Well, through, uh, through, Cooking, I guess the, the, the hospitality, food, food and hospitality, hospitality yes, and yes, 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 yes. That that increased huge, hugely over the last ten years, purely because of the way in which the media portrayed that That's industry. A really good point. And we need that for our industry. Yeah. I mean, you came to the Australian Hair Fashion yes. you saw the glamour, yes. you saw the excitement. Yeah. If people could see through my eyes what this industry is all about, we would get so much more support and so much more, I guess, uh, of a focus for young people to say, "Hey, I want to be part of this industry." Yeah. Well, this is why your work becomes so super important because you're the only one person in this country at the moment that's actually driving this momentum. So all credit to you for what you've achieved and what you're doing. So we need a master chef for the hairdressing. We do. That's what we're looking for, I think. So that um, that would be really helpful. Now, we just talk a little bit about COVID, not that we really want to go there, but the COVID years were particularly damaging for the hair and beauty industry. Those businesses were amongst the first to shut in a lockdown and the last to reopen. And we know Melbourne particularly suffered greatly through that period. Has there been a permanent damage, do you think, suffered as a result, or have we seen a strong recovery from the darkest days of COVID? It's one of those questions where you could go either way. I, I feel like, yes, there's been a strong recovery and people with the strong mindset to to forge forward and re, re uh, I guess, imagine what their businesses look like have come out stronger and the better for it. But there was a lot of psychological damage. There was a lot of fear, of course, perpetuated through a lot of the communication because it was a big unknown for all of us, right? So especially in the first year. And a, a lot of hairdressers suffered yes. emotionally and psychologically, of course, financially as well. And you still see the results of that. Some yeah. hairdressers have stepped away. Salons have closed down all across Australia. Melbourne really suffered, like you said. However, a lot of the product companies that have done well, the leading brands have been supporting our industry, have been supporting hairdressers. There's been a lot of work in hairdressers really adopting new technologies as well. And that was something that's not traditionally, you know, seen as a, a strength for hairdressers because, you know, there's some salons that still put their, their columns in a diary. They're not even using, you know, computer programs. So traditionally as an industry, we don't, we don't embrace technology so quickly. No, it sort of is like the last hurrah for di- digitization. It hasn't happened, right? So, in fact, you still see these sort of manual books and th- or things are done via text and they're Correct. not done for in a digital way, which is what customers want, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah. And and the pandemic sort of pushed our of industry it. in that yeah, direction, which I think we needed. Yes. During the pandemic, you know, I looked at tech solutions to, to solve for our industry because a lot of the opportunity for revenue is happening online in between visits. 
Mm. Right. So I'm not sure how often you go to see your hairdresser, but maybe every a, two weeks, every two weeks. <laughs> right. So, so that's why the barber industry is doing so well because yes. men go frequently. Yes. Women tend to go between six to eight weeks. Yes. And in between that period is where an opportunity is that our, our industry has not targeted that opportunity. Right. And that is speaking to your customer at home and getting them to engage with you through commercial opportunities that aren't service-led. Yeah. And that's the retail opportunity yeah, that our point. industry has not embraced. It's the product side of things. It's the product side yeah, of okay. things. Which I'm assuming the margins are greater in product than there is actually in the labor aspects of the, the Absolutely, yeah. because you're not paying rent no. to sell more product. Yes. You're not paying staff to sell more no. product. It's literally money sitting there on your shelf. Yeah. And with the way in which the product companies have developed and evolved, they're all they're all servicing direct-to-consumer through their businesses right now. So yes. you as a seller could just plug into their you know, central product database yes, and yes. have your client buy from your you Likely. online and have the product company fulfill that order. You don't even have, you don't even have to actually buy the stock. So your well, cash flow doesn't get affected. That's a really, really good point because, I mean, it allows you to continue with revenue, whether you're open or shut, and people can continue to, to shop. So uh, a really important point those hairdressers listening out there, great opportunity in product and digitizing their their work their their, their business and, and Paul the, their clients are the ones that they're connecting with on a day to day basis. So if the yeah. client should be buying from anybody, it should be from their hairdresser. Relationships with the hairdressers are a really really good point. Now you also mentor a lot of hairdressers uh, coming through the industry. How's the next generation of talent shaping up? So as I was sharing before, we have a, a program called Fame Team. So Fame Team is a twelve month program which discovers young people and sets them on a trajectory to really really walk away being an attractive proposition for companies to have as ambassadors for their career to really grow as business people, as creatives, as leaders. So from an incentive that we've built through our business, I feel like there is an exciting opportunity and pathway for young people to embrace. Now, is there a lot of that happening in the industry? No. One of the key issues that we're facing is young people aren't being inspired to join the hairdressing industry Mm. and take on board the craft. So the young people that are uh, part of our industry and are doing great things create really great hope for the future but there's not enough of them and mm. we the challenge is how do we attract young people to our industry so my personal mission is to inspire and motivate the next generation of hairdressers and I do that through the journal magazine which yes. is our publication online and digital and that's all about being super relevant really cool not very ad heavy it's not about here's a product here's a here's a price buy it right now it's yeah. all about uh, i guess a value system that we have in relation to communities culture technology people and it's very visual based the, the the magazine so it's it's something that always inspires creatively the online platforms that we've built for the journal magazine are, are super successful in relation to the engagement that we have with the professional so the Journal Magazine, the Australian Hair Fashion Awards, again, all about discovering new talent, fresh blood, attracting young people, having celebrity presence, having celebrity performances, DJs, uh, media. You know, you were there on the night. It's something that a young person would aspire to be a part yes, of. Yes, yes. And of course, again, that fame team brand that we've built, which is discovering young people. So it's all about, it's all geared towards attracting young people. But I can't do the, the you know, I can't solve the whole problem. No, I can no. only play my role. We need more and more people to stand up. Um, leaders to stand up in our industry, not only locally but globally, to really make our industry an attractive proposition. Yeah. Well, again, you, you play such a leadership role there. I think when you think about the leadership role you are playing, are there others that are in the industry that you collaborate with to bring that to life? Absolutely. Yeah. I collaborate with 
organizations that focus on young people, mm. in particular, the leading brands who understand that, that without young people in our industry, yes. we won't last the next 10 years. No. So I'm grateful that the leaders of the, the key product companies and the, and the organizations that are a part of our industry are all in tune and aligned in relation to this concern. Yes. However, there's not enough of it happening because there's so many other issues that people are facing in our industry to solve. And especially after the pandemic, yeah. it's been a challenge, not only to solve the traditional concerns that we've always had, like the skill shortage and, yes. and the, and the apprentice, uh, the apprentice concerns, but also now bouncing back from a really difficult economic period. Yeah. Um, and having the existing businesses get back on their feet. That's also been a huge challenge. And you speak a lot about young people. Is the innovation come from youth? Is that main, the main thinking or is it because that's where the disposable income is or where people are more likely to take up on new trends? Because I'm assuming the hairdressing industry really relying on newness to keep people coming back and to try different things. What, what, why is youth such an important part? I mean, I think with any industry, the youth is very important because without the youth, you don't have a future. Yes. Right. And we can get really stale as an industry creatively as well, but we need people and Senior hairdressers, qualified hairdressers are a dying breed. So if we're not attracting mm. a, a new generation of young hairdressers yes. and people falling love, in love with the craft or exploring the opportunities, then again, we don't have a very, very strong future. And one of the concerns that we also face is that the model of working as a hairdresser has changed dramatically mm. <laughs> over the last 10 years in relation to salon suites and the, the bullpen model yes. of working on your own in your own space or working from home which is great for the individual, but it's not great for the collective. Mm. You know, we don't have these traditional salon business models that allow young people to be trained, mentored, like you said, on the yes. job. So apprentices and apprenticeships and trainees don't have those opportunities like they once did because a lot of these uh, th these qualified hairdressers are operating as sole traders. Right, okay. That's a really good point you raised. And we talked a little bit about tech and innovation that's emerging in the retail industry. And we talked about e-commerce, about the ability for hairdressers to sort of master that because it's sort of the last bastion of actually adopting, you know, having that online trading, Correct. digitizing their calendar and appointment systems to make life, because consumers have busy, are busy, they want to make their life easier where you can make a booking and the, you know, it goes directly into your calendar. So you've got that clear. Are there any other digital trends that we're seeing in here and beauty? You, you, you refer a lot to the journal that you, you've got now. I'm assuming that's available in hard and, and digital. So, so tell me what's happening in, in the world of um, uh, publishing. Well, in the world of publishing, it's important that you don't ignore the fact that print is a touch point and the smart marketing managers have identified that. But for us, we've made it less frequent because of the fast moving digital world. Yes. You know, news. So less is, frequent. You've gone from monthly to quarterly or we went from six issues a year, which is okay. bi-monthly yes. to annual. Okay. So we do an right. annual issue, big, yes. beautiful, gorgeous, thick, Keepable copy of the magazine, like a coffee table, like a coffee almost, table yeah. book. Okay. That's that's correct, and it's culmination of a lot, a lot of what's going on throughout the entire year. But it's not news based yes. because news is new today and old yes. tomorrow. Yeah. So all the news based content is through our digital channels. Yes. However, all the really powerful interviews and stories and trends, and trends, trends yeah. of course, yes. and, and imagery goes into the magazine. Right. Okay. But from a technology standpoint, so you haven't walked away from print at all. You're saying it's just it's less frequent, but it's really important part of your. Uh, 
communicating innovation. Correct. It's one of our touch points and we had to make it scarce for it to be adaptable to the modern way in which people good engage point. media. Yeah, very good point. But in relation to technology, yes, there is new technology offerings out there in the industry. I mean, there are AI solutions that are coming into our industry. There's a there's a company that I co-founded called Peak, spelt P-I-I-Q. And Peak is started out as a digital mirror where it analyzes the consumer's hair type and face shape and matches them with celebrity hairstyles. And that's evolved right now to a great AI solution that really helps the consumer connect with the product needs that they have. One of the one of the I guess the bridges that we need to build is helping the consumer understand what they need for their hair in relation to product. Because you do get recommendations from your stylist, but yes. a lot of consumers now are buying through their smartphones. So they don't really understand, you know, what the texture and the and the type of their hair is required in relation to what products are offering. So with AI technology we can now can, solve that problem. That's fascinating. But again drive te- drive revenue back into the salon. Yes, 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 yes. That's absolutely amazing. What's on the mind, do you think, of consumers right now? How how has their behaviour changed over the years and how is the industry adapting? I mean, for me, I always believe the consumer's driven first and foremost by price and time and then values. Right. You know, we believe in sustainability. We believe in developing products that really cater for the, the modern needs of our planet, of course. Yes. Um, these things are very important to the consumer as well. But performance, price, and time yes. is something that's always driving the top consumers. And it's always top of mind. Yes. And we see that through companies like Ecoheads, who are one of the leading eco-friendly brands in the industry, right. where with their development and research, no matter how strong their offering is and how – because they conserve water with mm. their shower heads, their consumer and the salon is first and foremost driven by price and time. Right. Underpinned by these values, you have a great – offering to the consumer. So the consumer is looking for value-led brands and value-led offerings. However, one thing that never changes is price and convenience. Price and convenience. That's a really good point. Well, it's really it's, it's interesting. It's, it, it, the behavior of a consumer in hairdressing is very similar to what we see in general merchandise of the price and convenience of the first hurdle and everything else is, um, becomes really important. Just quickly on sustainability because it's one of the core values of the, uh, the ARA mm-hmm. and we've been really driving that as being the, the, one of the leadership pillars. When you think about the hairdressing world, you don't think about sustainability because you think of Think of chemicals and mm-hmm. um, dyes and colours <laughs> yeah. and yeah. lots of water being used. Hardly sustainable, but clearly hairdressers are on that path to sustainability because consumers are, are demanding it. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're seeing that a lot of developments that cater for sustainability and utilising renewables across all facets of our industry. Right. Yes, you're right, there's always going to be waste and there's always going to be certain offerings within our industry that aren't 100% sustainable. Mm-hmm. However, we're getting better and better and better. And companies and, and offerings like sustainable salons and who would do a great service to our industry, recycling and repurposing a lot of our waste. Yes. Um, so where, where does most of the hair end up, you know, that comes off people's heads? Well, we hope that it ends up with companies like sustainable salons. And what do you, they, what do they do with it? They utilize it to make these, what's called their, like their, I, I don't know what they call them, but they're mm. hair tubes right. and they use them to, to take oil out of the oceans. Oh, wow. Because okay. hair attracts oil. So they utilize them in the ocean when there's oil spills and you put these hair tubes or whatever they call them. They're just yes. nets full of hair. So and they, they literally do have, they absorb. Have a use. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, there might be some wet, uh, used for wigs or something like that, but clearly not. Wigs, of course. Okay. Right. 
Wigs are great because people require wigs because they have, you know, concerns with hair loss, of yes. course. But a, a real powerful use for hair is to absorb oil out of, out of, out of the ocean. Absolutely fascinating, fascinating conversation. David, thank you so much for joining us on Reach Health Therapy. Congratulations on all the work you do for the hair and beauty industry in Australia. Well done on your success and all the best for the future. Thank you so much for having me today, Paul. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank, thank you for all you do. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Therapy, brought to you by our season partner, American Express. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you give the show a follow on your favourite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you're a new listener, you can find our back catalogue of episodes on our website. We've covered leadership, small business and sustainability. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes.